1: All right, welcome in to the Hoisty Colors podcast. It is our first ever live stream edition. As you can see, I'm Steven Igo. I'm joined by Nova Pirate, also known as Sean. We have been on the podcast quite a bit in the past, break it down. East Carolina football and all things Pirate Athletics and we're here today to talk really about just how different ECU football will look in 2023. This is a really really early look. At East Carolina football in 2023, Sean. So I want to start there, and you know we're going to give our best takes this early in the process without knowing too much. But uh, first off, man, welcome into the show and welcome into our, our first live edition. This should be interesting. I can't wait to see how bad bad we mess it up.
2: <laughs> well, thanks for having me, Stephen. And and uh, I think this is the first official time that we've seen each other since the new year. So ha- happy New Year, and uh, a yeah. happy late New Year to to the Pirates who who are listening. Maybe there are one or two. I don't. I don't know how many <laughs> are there. <laughs> hey, but well, happy New Year!
1: Anybody who is listening, I will repeat this throughout the show because I, I think it'll take us some time to kind of gain like a live following, and you know we don't really have a set time yet. But if you if you have a comment, whether it be Facebook, whether it be YouTube, drop it, and we'll get to it throughout the show. Sean, let's first off start, man, just with the overall impressions of. The early look at 2023, there is a ton of roster turnover, and we kind of expected there would be there would be some significant turnover after the bowl game. I think more than 30 scholarship guys have left the program either via the portal uh, or via graduation. Before we get into position by position, just your initial thoughts on kind of the the turnover, and and really there are a lot of question marks going into next year, which I think adds some
2: intrigue as well. No, I agree. Um, obviously, I think the biggest loss is Keaton. Um, what he gives to a team or any team is something that you just you can't go to the porter, portal and get another Keaton. And he is a unique talent. He's singular in his speed, his ability to read the hole and where he wants to go. And, and just his instincts are, are incredible. So to me, that's the biggest loss. You know, we've lost some corners, some D-backs in the process, too. Um, You know, I think there were one or two that um, we really could have used. I I think, though, that we picked up some really nice talent from from Carolina. And I never thought I'd be saying that uh, about East Carolina, that we picked up some nice talent from Carolina. But and if we have some time, you know, to kind of look at what we brought in at that secondary level, what Mike Houston has done is brought in significant athletes and for the most part an upgrade to that deep backfield you know i think it was a bit concerning still that we've not picked up a tackle or two in the portal i know that seems probably a lot to do with the financial piece of college football now um we lost it looks like some folks that were having issues in the locker room but overall from what we lost and gained in the portal, except for um, Mitchell, I think as a whole we came out on the plus. That that's my sense of it. Looking at film and um, and who came in.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing too. Like I look at everybody that left, and obviously, Holton Ayler is a significant oh. loss. Experience you cannot teach at quarterback. So we'll get into the Mason Garcia talk here shortly, but. Like, as far as having a unicorn, Keith Mitchell's the one guy you just can't go out and replace, like you said. And so that is the biggest question for me, and we'll talk about that shortly as well. You know, you lose a, a guy like that who's just a home run hitter, how easy to replace that? But let's first start with, with the Mason Garcia question, uh, Sean. I mean, this is this is something that basically he's been waiting for his time for three years now. Yeah, he's been in the program three years. Same offensive staff. Donnie Kirkpatrick back for another year at offensive coordinator, heading into year five under Mike Houston. How can we expect this offense to look different with Mason Garcia at the helm versus maybe Holt Naylor's the past few years?
2: Yeah, first let's just talk about what H- Holton has done just for uh, thirty seconds or so in these in the um, you know senior MVP games. Been really impressed with what he's done. I think he's looked the best quarterback in both of the bowl games that he's played in or the all-star games. And he really looks like he's coming into his own. So good for him. Um, I think what we've seen so far out of Mason has been very limited um, for whatever reason, Houston has had uh, a sort of play only in an emergency type of uh, system when it comes to backup quarterbacks. There's a lot out that we still don't know. Obviously uh, he's athletic um, in the spring games when we've had a chance to see him throw the ball he has uh, he has a nice arm uh, he can make really difficult uh, throws he can make throws uh, on all sides of the field what I've seen him struggle with though is accuracy uh, and I've seen him struggle in reading defenses in the spring game. He tends to go with his first option, which is probably what they're maybe asking him to do, but he has all the athletic tools. I think what he's going to have to work on is just the other intangibles that really make good quarterbacks, great quarterbacks. And that's decision-making, decision-making, decision-making. And that, that the jury's out for that as a runner, Um, I think he's going to be an even stronger runner than Holton was. And I would suspect that we would see more read option with him. I would suspect that we would see more RPOs with him. I would suspect that his mobility will play a key role. I I, I looked back or I tried to look back at some of the tape when Houston and Donnie were at James uh, Madison and had more of a mobile QB. And and what you saw there uh, at James Madison was more option reads more working on getting the quarterback into space so i see that with him um again great athleticism but experience and decision making the jury's still out on that what do you think Steven?
1: yeah i mean that's a a fair point i think that's the biggest question is mason garcia we know at this point he's got the physical tools uh the arm strength and and to me the biggest thing that that Mason will add to this offense at least immediately is the, the true run threat from a quarterback perspective. I thought by the end of Holt career, he was pretty much, I don't want to say primarily a pocket passer, but he basically was, I mean, he, he, outside of a few design runs per game with the injuries he's been through, I, I think with Mason stepping in, you're going to see a lot more emphasis on the run game early on in his career, at least maybe until he gets, comfortable reading the defenses, like you said, making those decisions on the fly. So in some ways, I think ECU could get more simple offensively with Mason Garcia. But I also think in turn, they also become more dynamic because you have the quarterback run game as a true threat and he can push the ball down the field. You know, Holton obviously smart as they come, understands, you know, the, the the right windows to throw to how to read defenses, but Mason will be able to make more throws across the field than Holton was. Just off arm town alone. So I think there's more potential, despite them getting simpler, if that makes sense. Like I feel like you do have to simplify it, but you can also do more, do different things.
2: Absolutely. And in the modern game of football, if you have a quarterback that is a true run threat you have a chance to win or to be in every game. It's very difficult for defenses to cover the types of coverages that um, offenses are throwing at them with their route trees. And then you add someone, you're asking someone in the secondary or um, a hybrid to cover a true dual threat quarterback. It could really play Uh, pay dividends for us again i think the jury is still out right i think we've got to see him play more games but certainly the potential is there um and um i think some some real potential
1: all right fair expectations for mason garcia we'll get into to that in terms of like he's going to make mistakes i mean anytime you have a first time starting quarterback you're going to make mistakes you know especially when you open at Michigan and, and really I know I know it won't be his first career start but it's been three years since he started so in some ways it will be um you go from Navy at home during the pandemic to opening at Michigan there's quite a difference there I, I, like statistically I don't I don't know maybe what to shoot for but like how how many games do you feel like it 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 will take to get a fair read on what Mason Garcia is at the quarterback position I think it
2: take. I think it could take up to half the season for them to decide if they're going to keep him in or not. I think by game three or four, we're going to have a sense of whether or not this is going to be a viable season for him. And um, I, I think there are some things that we can pick up pretty quickly in terms of. Um, in terms of his ability to stay in the pocket, to keep his cool. So much of modern QB is about, um, it, it is about the, a cerebral approach to the game. And so, you know, he can have all the tools, but not have the ability to keep his cool or not have the ability to do the things that Donnie's asking him to do. I, I think we'll know within four games. I think we can throw out the Michigan game. Look, I, I, I love Rudy. I love Rocky. I love all of the, the comeback stories. And if he has a great game, awesome. But if he doesn't, I don't think fans can really say much about that other than Michigan is going to be a great team and talk about an assignment is your first assignment. You're replacing the all time uh, uh, yards leader in Holton. And then, Oh, by the way, here's Michigan, uh, you know, you know, good luck. I, I, um, but I think, I think we'll know pretty soon.
1: ECU did try to get that Gardner web game moved up to week zero for obvious reasons. Uh, I'm told it's not going to happen. NCAA, apparently, uh, you know, they, they don't care about NIL or people illegally spending money, but they, they really don't want teams to move games to week zero. So that makes perfect sense. Um, exactly. So yeah, that's that's probably not gonna happen. Gardner Webb will stay as the, I believe, the third, maybe even the fourth game of the year. I can't remember off the top of my head. All right, let's transition. Uh Sean, you know, I really was hoping that Keaton Mitchell would come back this year because, you know, not not you know, selfishly, I wanted it to happen just so I could see him with, with Mason Garcia like a true running threat at quarterback, how that combination would pay off. But I get I get why he's going bro. The other thing for me is, as we talked about earlier, like this is the biggest question mark. I know replacing Holton Naylor is a huge question mark for obvious reasons as a quarterback, but Keaton Mitchell, you just don't replace game-changing ability easily. And so how does ECU go about replacing Keaton Mitchell? You know, they do have a true freshman, Javius Bond, who's got some real ability as a home run threat, but he's a true freshman. You know, how fair is it to expect him to come in and make a huge immediate impact? I don't know. Um, just your thoughts on how ECU goes about replacing Keaton Mitchell. I almost feel like it has to be by committee. Uh, y- y- your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's really smart. Stephen. there is no replacing Keaton that there, there, there really isn't. And, um, you know, once in 30 year talent and, um, but we have to move on and, and we have some good talent um ready to, to play. Hopefully Um, Harris is healed and ready to come back. I thought Gunn showed a lot of potential. I love his running style. He's a smart runner. He's a hard runner. Um, I love the kid from uh, from Bond from Memphis. He looks like a a speedster. Um, And then you have this new pickup, uh, Green, from Georgia Southern, who I think is probably our best pickup from the portal. So there are a lot of really good weapons to, to play with. I think the biggest question for me is who is coach Houston and uh, Donnie Kirkpatrick, who's going to be their one and two. Um, and we may not really have a one, two um, until several games into the season. And we'll see obviously how they'll do in spring practice and, uh, and fall ball. But, Uh, you know, there's a lot of different things that you can do, but at the end of the day, these running backs have to line up, um, and hit the hole. And so, um, the good news is, is that we have some nice talent. I think the bad news is, is you have to replace a once in a generation, um, a once in a generation back.
1: I think Marlon Gunn kind of goes into the spring as the unofficial number one back because Roger, it sounds like will still be rehabbing. Which isn't a bad thing. You don't want to rush a guy back off an ACL, especially a running back. Uh, and Marlon, I think he didn't have a spring ball last year, so I think this is a crucial spring for him to try and establish himself. No, he's not the home run hitter that Keaton was, but I think he showed last year he can be in a very, very effective and very talented runner. You know, Gerald Green is, is to me, I think, one of the, the most underrated pickups of the offseason just because he's almost like a, he's almost like an insurance policy in that, you know, not that he can't come in and be the starter and and prove himself in that regard, but I just feel like he's been with Chris Foster before, so he's going to know the the ins and outs of most of the offense right away. He's a veteran guy. He's been in a weight room. He's dependable. I think he's only fumbled once in his career. He's a strong pass protector. So, like, with Marlon Gunn and Gerald Green, you, you have, I think, two pretty solid backs that you can count on. And then if Roger comes back, that gives you three. And then I think you almost look to like Javius Bond or maybe one of the young guys who we were waiting to see step up, like a Pop McKay or Nemo Squire or some of those guys, or even Camaro Edmonds to kind of take that next step. So I feel pretty good about the depth of the room. Mm-hmm. And I almost feel like, you know, Javius maybe can, I think he'll end up playing if he can handle the physical side of the game uh, as, a, as a first year back. But, To me, I almost feel like you're going to have to get more explosive runs with either Garcia or more explosive plays in the passing game to kind of make up for the loss of Mitchell because I just don't think you're going to get the same explosive plays in the running game. I think you can still be effective there, but I think you're going to have to make some explosive plays out wide.
2: Yeah. I mean, one of the things that Keaton was able to do is really um, once they called the play for him, whether it was an inside zone, outside zone, I don't think it really mattered because I think he took the handoff. And with his vision, he just looked for the opening. And there are very few backs in the country at any time that have that ability. So the the notes that I put on Green and what I really liked about him was um uh, I loved his vision. You can see in his tape how um, how well he can see uh, the line and where he wants to go. His balance is really good. Um, he's not a big guy, but he was not an easy tackle, and that's typically uh, because of balance. He squares his shoulders through the hole, which is a really good sign, and he's a one-step-and-go. So I do think he becomes an instant um, viable back for us. And, and I think the other thing too, that's worth talking about, Stephen, just for a moment is what does Donnie and coach Houston do to really take advantage of the runners that we have. And I think that's also going to play out for here. I, I think one of the things that I saw with Harris last year was Harris is not the type of back that Mitchell was. And I think at times where I saw Harris, um, I saw Harris moving as if, if there was a stretch play or an outside zone, Keaton could really kind of take his time because of his quickness and then hit the hole or the gap. At times it looked like Harris was trying to do the same thing, uh, he was taking maybe just a quarter second too long. A lot along that stretch, and then he just wasn't fast enough, as fast as, as Mitchell. So I think sometimes Harris was kind of forcing things. So I'm hoping that Harris finds his own rhythm again, but I really do think that we've got to have a better scheme for running uh, this time. The best offensive run teams now are switching to a lot of pen and pull, which is basically just what used to be the old counter tray from at the time when they were the Redskins – you pull a guard, you pull a tackle, and you put them into space. And um, you know San Francisco at the pro level does an amazing job with this. But I really think that if we're gonna have, if we're gonna be a run team next year, and and that Houston does want to be run first, I think we're gonna have to get better with our run scheme. I really do. And um, hopefully, bringing in our new O line coach, we're gonna have more opportunities to pull our guards and tackles in a way that, that we have it. Because once that system picks up, once you really learn how to pull a guard and pull a tackle and you, uh, you learn how to kick out the end and do a reach block on the inside, that can be a really devastating run combination. So my hope is, is that as we begin to look at the replacement of these backs that we also reevaluate our run scheme because I think if we're just going to continue with stretch and inside zone you know I I, I don't know how effective we'll will be um, as opposed to maybe being a little more creative but, we got a it, couple more you wanted <laughs>
1: no that was, it was good because I was actually going to talk about the run scheme too in that 2020 ecu ran a lot of zone and gap and they went primarily to zone the past two years i think because of keaton mitchell i think rajay is is probably a better gap runner um and you know Marlon Marlon looked pretty good in zone last year but i I think he could be a solid gap runner too so we'll see georgia southern did a little bit of both uh when green was there we got a couple comments uh again if you if you're listening live You want to uh, have your question answered, drop it in here. we got a good one from Brandon. Um, Can you really have too much depth at running back? Question mark. Lots of men in that room. Do we move them around on the offense slot or wide receiver? A good question. You can't have too much depth at running back. I mean, you honestly can't. The problem is they all want the ball. And more than likely, one or two is going to transfer for that reason. You know, I would say last year, maybe you have a guy – in there that could move to the slot maybe you could move keaton you know at least somewhat uh part time you know into slot in certain formations but i just don't know if that skill set is there right now from some of those guys like i look at a pop mckay and and nemo squire i see just more traditional running back bodies like if you if you want to talk about moving somebody to the slot javius bond would probably be that guy uh based off his film just your take there nova
2: no, I I agree and it, it it's um it is great to have all that depth and it, and it will look even better halfway through the season god forbid that someone gets injured but what I would like for us to do a little more than what we're doing because we do have such a deep running back room is um I'd love to see some of the guys that are not uh one or two let them run back kicks and and I know not every running back can do that but it's not that difficult of a transition to have uh, a speedy running back back there. And and that's one way to get these guys um, some runtime and some touch time. So I I would love for Houston to put some of these guys back in positions that if they're not one or two to, to run the ball back. And, but I also think you're right, Steven, there's, I don't really see any of these guys that are slot guys, Green maybe, um, and then uh, and then bond. But the rest of these rest of these guys are one step gap run, um, and they just the the bulk's a little too much for a slot receiver. I think.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, we got a question from Michael about the O line. We'll get to that in a second. Let's first talk about this receiver room, uh, Sean. I mean, it feels like with every position we're talking about how to replace guys, and ECU had to replace a couple guys. In Isaiah Winstead and C.J. Johnson, of course, both are pro hopefuls now, uh, both 1,000-yard receivers, a lot of production to replace there. I do think there is some talent in this room. ECU adds Ryan King, a transfer from Georgia Tech. They have Jarrett Garner back for a second year. Jalen Johnson is coming back. He had a, a pretty good year, especially when he wasn't hurt, hurt by his back injury. So, you know, you have some ability there. Josiah Hatfield is back as a big play threat. It's just nobody has proven they can be a number one guy. And I I still think we'll see a a receiver addition at some point, Sean. But to me, this spring, the position I'm going to be watching the most is wide receiver because they'll truly get the opportunities. Hey, if you're Jarrett Garner, you want your chance. You're Ryan King. You want your chance. There's nobody in front of you right now. you go out and earn it, then maybe ECU doesn't bring in another receiver. But they got to go do that this spring.
2: Yeah, and – Garner and Johnson both have the talent to be one and two um, from what I saw yesterday. And and you look at, even though they both have had limited film, they both have good uh, wingspan. They both have good hands. They're both pretty good route runners. They played in systems where they learned how to play ball. I, I really think those two can have a really good season. So I, I feel good about those two. I love the pickup with King from, from Georgia Tech, his lack of playing, of course, is is a bit of a, a head scratcher, and you never know what's going on in a in a system. He he was a big special teams player, but you you look at his high school film and you look at the limited film that he had at Tech. This is a big receiver. He is a, a really good route runner. He has good hands. Um, he goes up for the ball. That to me, that's the biggest sleeper pick for me out of the entire portal and one thing that we've seen about Houston and Company in the portal is they're pretty sa- they've been pretty savvy so far in finding hidden talent and King looks to be uh one of those guys so i think between Garner and Johnson and King and then uh the incoming freshman uh, Malik Leverett i think that's Malik is that right incoming freshman I believe so yeah uh, yeah six, uh, 63 freshman here's my notes on him speedy a great hands a great route runner uh shreds the press and can play the game so i think uh malik looks like he could come in and maybe get some play time and then just look what's also here spaulding um you know looking at terrence uh copper jr's film he's got pretty good film from high school i think he could possibly play and so there are a number of uh of possibilities for us it's i think the good news is and and one of the things i think that houston has done really well is that he has done a good job of finding talent so it's this doesn't look to me like in past east carolina years where we've lost some really good uh, personnel and we have to wait through another two or three year cycle to find another good uh, set of personnel it really looks like we've got some folks that can step up pretty quickly. Um, in terms of their athleticism, we already have guys that can do that. The question is, once they are the person, can, can they do it? So, But that is definitely one to watch, I think, over the spring and fall.
1: Tight end position. Uh, we know Shane Calhoun's coming back. And, and Tyler Savage is kind of that in-between guy, slot receiver, tight end, who I think We'll get a lot more playing time. Again, a guy who's been in the program now three years. This is kind of his chance to step up. Ryan Jones is gone. Aaron Jarman's gone. Like for those players, like this is their time. And they've been in the program. They were recruited for a reason. Still think you'll see at least one addition there from the portal just because they need to get a little older there. Um, Sean, but let's let's talk about the O line and you know, interior O line returning. Looks pretty good. You got Nashad Strother at guard. Uh, you know we saw Hampton Ergle step up in the in the bowl game with Avery Jones's departure. Um, you got Isaiah Foote starting at your other guard. So the interior line looks pretty solid. You return Jacob Saker, Richard Pierce. Like I feel good about that spot. Offensive tackle wise will be the concern for me. I mean you do return Parker Moore, but outside of that, it's you know there there's, there are question marks there for sure.
2: Yeah. And even if you look beyond, so all the names that you named, uh, Sakra, um, I've, I've I've made notes on everybody that we have left. Um, you, you wonder, can a Parker, you know, Parker Moore, can he, I think he's a viable person if they need to move out to tackle, um, you know, how does Ben John, can we, Ben Johnson's maybe a little too small, but I, I think we definitely need to bring in somebody from the portal. Look, we've picked up over the last, two or three years, we really have picked up some nice talent in terms of offensive line. And again, I think here is another position where we have athleticism. We have guys that we're not going to have to wait years to develop, but that tackle spot uh, worries me the most. And I, I think I heard in the interview that you had with Coast Houston, it's interesting i think he specifically named that as a position that they're looking for i mean we have guys that we can shift over if we need to i mean that that's the good news here um but uh i i definitely think we need to bring in someone else
1: like in a shot strother he showed he could play tackle but he's a guard you know he's a guy that prototypically he fits a guard and he's he's shown that the last few years so Ideally, you would like to add a bigger tackle so you don't have to move Strother to guard, but we'll see kind of how – or move Strother to tackle. So we'll see how the the offseason plays out. I think that's a definite goal. Uh, Michael wants to know, can we compare and contrast the new offensive line coach to Coach Shank? You know, I want to see him out in the field teaching, coaching a little bit, Um, but I do know this, that when Coach Shank told Mike Houston he was going to step away and basically – you know, unofficially retire from coaching. He'll still be with the program in an an off-field capacity and is still evaluating talent, still involved in that. He he suggested to Coach Houston to hire Alan Mogridge. Coach Houston's only call was Alan Mogridge. Uh, USF was not a good program, but their offensive line and their running game was consistently good the last few years. You look everywhere he's been, they've had solid running games. I do think his addition will help with a recruiting. I think he's, you know, he's obviously younger than Shank. I think, uh, he'll do good on the recruiting trail. Not that Shank didn't, but I think by the end of it, I mean, look, I'm tired of covering recruiting, uh, right now. So I'm sure that, uh, somebody Shank's age is, is fed up with the BS at times. Uh, so I think Mogridge will help with recruiting. I also think, uh, maybe he brings a different philosophy. Obviously Shank, while has been around, he knows as much O-line coaching as anybody, but, It never hurts to have some fresh ideas in the room uh, from an offensive staff perspective. Just any, any additional thoughts there?
2: Yeah, no, I just, just in terms of, uh, I mean, Shank obviously a pro and uh, an amazing coach and knowledge, but one I think significant place where the game really has changed on the offensive line is that a, a lot of the more successful run teams are really looking at the offensive linemen as viable weapons. So Um, Instead of the offensive line sort of, um, you know, having a a set sort of traditional um, block to the inside, block to the outside. A lot of the more successful teams now are saying, okay, if we can get these linemen into space, um, we can produce havoc in a way that traditional one step block out black Um, block in can't do anymore so my hope is is that what we'll see is a philosophy change where we'll be more aggressive in this uh, pool system that I was talking about the athletes now that we have coming out on the O line not just for East Carolina but in many places it's a different breed of athlete and it's a type of athlete where we now have offensive linemen that are pretty agile and have the ability to to move and so I guess that's my big hope is that what he brings is a new approach where we really look at offensive linemen as being an aggressive, violent part of the game um, and to really sort of put them in a place where they are going on the offensive against the set defense. You have a good pull system. It is very difficult to stop that. First of all, it, it's very like if you're a defender, you have to have a lot of nerve when a 320-pound tackle or guard is heading your way. There's a psychological part to that. But you put somebody in motion like that and put one, a back behind it, it, it's a pretty good system. So if that, that's I guess that's the only thing I have is I, I hope we kind of shift to that a little bit more.
0: Up for a $1 per month trial period at Shopify.com slash Odyssey Podcast, all lowercase. Go to Shopify.com slash Odyssey Podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Odyssey Podcast.
1: As we transition to the defensive side of the ball, where Blake Harrell will uh, head into year three, I guess, or year four. Wow, it's hard to believe year four because he started in 2020 as the defensive coordinator under Mike Houston. Uh, just a reminder, if you are listening, give us a thumbs up or a like on Facebook or YouTube. Also subscribe to us on YouTube. We'll, we'll start to go live a lot more in the coming weeks, and really I plan to going forward unless I'm doing a set interview. I am actually expecting to, st- to talk to Donnie Kirkpatrick and Blake Harrell in the coming weeks uh, for some sit-down podcasts. But give us a like and a subscribe. That way you know when we're going live. Also, all the likes help our our numbers, our streaming numbers on social media. So, I appreciate the support from everybody. All right, Sean, the title of this is Just How Different Will ECU Football Look in 2023? And one area where they won't look different is on the defensive front, at least in the interior, because we know all these guys. And we know Elijah Morris. We know uh, J.D. Lampley, Deontay Johnson. And so, that is – That's a positive, a major positive. Uh, The the question for me, as I look at the edge spot, how can ECU become a better pass rush team? You got to create some more pressure in some regard. Um, I know you were looking at some film of Samuel Danka, uh, second-year player who the coaching staff is very high on. They've kind of converted him to an edge rushing position. Last year, he was a little too light. I know that he is eating all the time now because they're hoping to bulk him up and up. To me, he's the guy, and along with some of the guys they got coming in, like Demoris Jenkins from Charlotte, I think is going to be a stud in a few years, but as a freshman, I don't think you can count on it right right now. But they got to get more athletic on the edge. Um, Jeremy Lewis will miss the spring with an injury, but he'll be back for the fall. So opportunity for some other guys to step up there, just the importance of that position.
2: Yeah. So you're exactly right on the D line. I feel really good about the interior, the one technique, two technique and three. We're in, we're in really good shape and we're, we're deep there, which hardly ever happens for us. So, and that's, That's a that's a good thing that we're stable. I really like Danka. I really like um, uh, Preston Carr, who I think can come in and uh, his film looked really good from high school. Um, He's got some size. He's got a good motor. I think him on the edge. But but I think um, just as hopefully we get Robinson back to who I think injured himself early. Was it the second or third game?
1: I think the first game of the year, yeah, he, Josiah Robinson, think, yeah,
2: yeah. When he is playing, I think he is our best defensive end. He he has some real talent. So it was a, it was too bad that he got injured. But if if he can stay healthy, I think we have some better options on the end. But but more than that, what Houston has done is he's brought in some real speed. At the linebacker spot and at the strong safety uh, nickel um, position, so you you look at what we brought in from North Carolina A with what we brought in from South Carolina State. I'm just looking at my notes. Uh, BJ Davis um, from South Carolina State um Taekwon King from ANT obviously look at uh, Ray Ray Dilworth from Chapel Hill you have brought speed guys in a way that we haven't had that type of speed at the lineback at the outside linebacker position so what i think you're going to find is with at least with the three of these um, new portal finds And you're going to find us better at the edge. One of the things that we really struggled with last year on the defensive end, on the defensive side was we were pretty good when um, they attacked the middle of the field with runs where we really struggled was on the edge. Our backers really had a hard time catching up with the speedy running backs or anybody that would get to the edge. What you're seeing with these new guys coming in is that they have speed, speed, speed. So I think, we're going to be much better on the edge in terms of our pursuit, but with any of these guys, um, we're also, particularly with Ray Ray, we're going to be able to put him in different positions on the field. And he has the best straight line speed. I think we've, I've ever seen in an ECU defensive player. It's, it's really quite extraordinary. The type of athleticism he has, and I have no idea what they were doing at Carolina. Why would you not find a way to be creative to get that guy in the game? That's a huge pickup for us. Um, and I am really looking forward to see how they put him in a position to rush the the quarterback. So between Davis and Ray Ray and um, and, and Taekwon King, I think we're in much better shape in terms of being able to, to rush the Passer. pastor. pastor I, I think the biggest concern for me at linebacker is uh, just going to be, we need some bulk, but in terms of that edge and being able to rush, I think we're going to be in better shape.
1: Yeah. I was just about to ask that. Like I, I just did a write up on BJ Davis who, and I, I watched a lot of tape of him specifically. I watched, when they played Clemson, which probably was not a fair evaluation because, I mean, they were just outmanned um, from 2021. I also watched when they played UCF this past season, South Carolina State, and there were flashes of just tremendous play because, like you said, he's long. He's almost built more like Jairo Wilson or Gerard Stringer than like a, you know, Miles Berry or Xavier Smith. So, you know, you're almost in some ways sacrificing bulk run defense maybe for pass coverage and I wonder how many of these guys are going to be every-down players versus, all right, second and long, third and long. Let's go to this package. Let's put B.J. Davis in this spot. Let's put uh, – I think it is Rah-Rah Dealworth, by the way. Not oh, sorry, I, Rah-Rah. What not that I, saying, I blame Larry? you for getting it wrong. Um, let's put Rah-Rah at this spot. Let's yeah. put Taekwon King at this spot. All of a sudden, you're faster longer at all those positions than you were a year ago. And so I, I do like that. I like what they've done there. I just wonder how is it going to look on first and ten when you got to be able to stop the run too. You know, Taylor Jackson returns. Uh, they got some other big linebackers who are coming in uh, as freshmen. So I mean, they're going to be they're going to be like eight deep in that linebacker room um, as far as the inside spots and how many of those guys play outside too. We'll see. That that's to me is one of the more fascinating positions uh, as we go into this off season.
2: Yeah, no, I I agreed, and and it's it's hard to find one linebacker that has everything, yeah. both the bulk to shed uh, blocks and someone that can hit the hit the edge and and pass rush. Um, you know, both of the guys that we brought in from South Carolina State and A and T. I, I, my sense is they can probably go the distance for most of the game, but it's going to be an upgrade for them just in terms of the physicality. They, they have all the athleticism, and in fact, we've upgraded our athleticism at the linebacker spot across the board, and the same thing with the D back, um, the other two D backs that, or three actually that we've brought in. Um, we've upgraded everywhere. Uh, these guys, if you look at their uh, hip mobility, you look at their coverage skills, you look at their ability to anticipate the ball. We've made upgrades in, with all of these transfers coming in with um, with Nash, with Brown, uh, Tamar Brown, uh, defensive back from Carolina, Dontavius Nash. Um, we've really done a great job in the portal, and you know, I know we lost some DBs, but to be honest, um, for the most part, we um, we upgraded as soon as these kids get on the uh, – as soon as they get on uh, the football field. I mean, that's, that's the truth of it. We really struggled in our secondary last year. I, I think we were next to the last or in the top, you know, one of the top five worst secondary coverages. And I think what you'll find with these guys is once they get a little bit of play in – it will be a significant upgrade from day one, which I'm excited about because we we really needed that. So I think we'll be better rushers. And I think we'll be better on the edge and better in the secondary.
1: You talk about some of those losses. Like I look at a guy like Malik Fleming, who I, you know, I really have respect for. He was here four years. I mean, he was, uh, he, he played pretty much every snap. Like the guy was a warrior, but, you know, no no offense to Malik Fleming, but he's a 5'8 corner. There are limitations when you have a guy, even Jaquan McMillan, for as good as he was, there are limitations when you have a 5'8 corner playing outside. And I'm not saying the next guy who's six foot is going to be better than Malik, but having a longer corner like a Siobhan uh, Ravel, who's 6'2, 190 and runs a 4'4, can he put it all together? I don't know, but if he does, he's going to give be, be a major upgrade. Time here, Brown, six feet. Runs a four-four, long arms like those guys. If it all comes together, and there will be growing pains because these guys haven't played, Sean. But I do like how the how you know you just you've gotten more athletic, you've gotten longer on defense. The only issue is you've you've gotten a lot less experience, so there will be growing pains. But I like the long-term potential.
2: Yeah, I do too. And even though there'll be some growing pains, I do believe their athleticism between Brown and Nash and Dilworth. Um, King, um, all of those guys will pay off. So, just for example, on some notes that I made on uh, Brown, um, great athlete speed, excellent hips, um, uh, great situational awareness. Uh, with Nash, great hips, athleticism, clo- a really good clothing speed. Um, you know, it's a physical back. And, and of course, Dilworth, uh, that frontline speed is, I mean, that's God given. So, um, I do believe these are all an upgrade.
1: All right. We got a few questions on Facebook. We'll get to, as we kind of near the end here. Um, this is, this is kind of a good transition because we haven't talked special team yet. Uh, Samuel Adams wants to know, uh, field position battle that is often overlooked. Any thought of bringing in another punter to compete with Luke Larson in David Chapo? Uh, I, I don't know what the coaching staff's perspective is on this, Samuel, but I'll say um from my perspective, I would love to see ECU bring in another punter for competition because I just feel like last year was not good enough. And again, no disrespect to either of the punters, but the punting game lacked for most of the year. Now at the end of the year, Luke Larson did improve tremendously. But I mean, he's he's I think I think he's my age. I think he's about to be 31. Um you know, how much better can he get at that age? Maybe he can. I don't know. I mean, I, I think I've already peaked and I'm going downhill. So I don't know. But uh, uh, Sean, would you like to see another punter uh, brought in?
2: Yeah, I, I would. I, I think competition is always important. And our punting game had some significant issues last year. So um, I don't, you know, you know more about the recruit, whether or not we're about to bring in somebody. But I, I definitely think we need to bring in some more competition
1: they've had a, a guy uh, I think Owen fair a high school recruit who's visited who has an offer but NC state also just offered him as well so I don't know where that stands um, you know if you're that kid you could look at the ECU situation and say hey I could go there win the job and get put on scholarship right away I do know they've been in contact with some kickers with some punters um, I do think the kicker situation as crazy as it sounds like they still have a ton of talent on the roster you got daffer who i know he struggled last year but he showed previously he could be a capable kicker andrew conrad was a true freshman last year for a true freshman he he made some big kicks uh the guy that nobody talks about is carson smith because he's dealt with injuries but he's a very talented kicker who if he has a healthy offseason could win the job and then you got Lath marjan you got four kickers on the roster obviously if you can go add an all-conference kicker from the portal you know, by all means do it, but it's not that easy. So I do think it'll be a either way, it'll be competition this spring. And I think from then, uh from that point forward, I think they'll make a decision after spring ball on, on who and, to have.
2: And we have typically done better with outside transfer kickers. We have, we have really struggled since I've been following ECU football since ninety ninety-one. Uh, when I transferred to ECU, for the most part, we have struggled in developing our own talent. And I think some of the best players have been transfers for us. And, and I don't know what that is about. There seems to be some psychological um, rabbit hole that these kickers go down. Uh, I, I would love to know what it is, but uh, I, I, hope, I, I, actually, I hope we do bring in uh, a kicker uh, from the portal.
1: All right, we got a a couple more questions rolling in. This is kind of a loaded one, Bob, uh, but Bob Whaley on Facebook wants to know, how do you think ECU will stack up against the conference next season? The reason I say this is a loaded one is because, A, I don't even know what ECU is going to look like next season for the most part as we've discussed in this podcast, but I I have a decent feel for some of the teams returning in the American. Like I expect Tulane to be good. They've got Pratt back. Uh, They've got a lot of their pieces back. They did lose their two – core linebackers and they lost Tajay Spears. UTSA should be good. I would expect um, some of these newer teams to add a bunch of team or a bunch of players in the portal, like Charlotte's heavy in the portal. So I don't know. We'll see. I mean, to me, it's just, it's kind of too early to tell uh, Sean.
2: No, I agree. I agree. And And, and, just to add really quickly what you said, it's just hard to know what the new teams are going to bring. I agree about UT UTSA, University of Texas San Antonio. I think they'll be good. UAB is going to be good. Um, yeah, I think it's too early to tell.
1: We'll go now to our uh, our final question, at least for now. If you got any questions to get in at the buzzer, uh, hit me on or hit us on Facebook, hit us on YouTube. You think we'll be more run heavy next year with all the running backs and the loss of receivers? Uh Sean, I'll let you tackle this one up front. We kind of talked about it earlier, but just to rehash, I do think we'll see a little bit more run game.
2: Yeah, I, I do too. Uh, Houston is a run-first quarterback, I mean, uh, coach to begin with, and then given Mason's ability to to run the ball, it's it'll be it, while he's learning the route and route trees and learning coverages, I think we're going to see a heavy dose of, of, of run um early on, especially against michigan for lots of reasons against michigan but i i think uh i think early on it's going to be a hev- heavy run uh uh sort of offense
1: yeah and it's one of those things too uh, you you kind of wonder how mason garcia's body is going to react to being hit because he hasn't played in a live football game where he's been hit consistently in three years so that's a question mark too and that's why i think ultimately they'll go to the portal and i would as- i would expect them sean to get a Quarterback with a similar skill set to Mason, um, just because if he goes down for a, a series or two, you don't want to have to change your entire offense. And Alex Flynn, not really similar to Mason. Jeter is Raheem Jeter, but I do think ultimately they will they'll add somebody uh, similar to to Mason. Our, our final comment from Carolina cast: Can't wait to watch Mason next year with all the pieces we have on offense. Let's go, Pirates! Oh. Just when we were about to get out, Sean, we, all right, our last question, this will be it. We've, we've almost gone 50 minutes. Uh, I know you you do have a life outside of uh, our our, our podcast, Sean. So (laughs) I uh, I
2: really don't. (laughs) (laughs) What
1: position group uh, player do you think will be a pleasant, Surprise next year. Uh anybody come to mind off the top of your head? so
2: yeah, I'm really interested in what um our two new linebacker transfers are gonna look like and um rah-rah, not Ray Ray. Um how they're gonna put Dilworth into um into positions where he can put pressure on the quarterback. I'm I'm really um I feel really good about these portal pickups in the secondary I really do. So I'm going to be watching both the the two new linebackers um and the the new uh, uh secondary that we brought in from Carolina. How bet you Steven what are what are you looking for?
1: Yeah, I'm going to stick with the defense too. I think Siobhan uh, Ravel, um I, I just I really liked how he looked in the bowl game. Yeah. I mean I've known that he he's fast, but the thing that impressed me most was he he stepped up and he made a physical tackle on a run to the boundary where I was like, that's, that's impressive for a cornerback to make. So like to me, when you have that physicality and you're that big uh, and fast a corner, that's uh, you know, that, that to me is a, a major uh, he's got major upside, I would say. Mm-hmm. And then offensively um, I'm trying to think of somebody kind of off the radar, you know, for me, I, I just think we, and I'm maybe I'm falling into this trap again, but like, we, we talk about the need for explosive plays. You know, Josiah Hatfield, he's going into year five with ECU. And I thought at the end of last year, he finally started to look consistent. And then he got hurt at the end of the Temple game. But this should be his year, man. This, I mean, there's no more excuses for him. There's nobody in his way. And I just feel like this will be his year. So those are my two picks, uh, at least as far as pleasant surprises. So, all right, well, I think we're done with the – the question, Sean, and and that'll wrap it up for our first ever live stream on the hoist colors, YouTube page, as well as Facebook, uh, with our podcast, man. So appreciate the time, Sean, and and we'll be, we'll be back soon enough. I'm sure with another in-depth breakdown on power football.
2: Yeah. Thanks for having me, Steven. I appreciate it. It was fun.
1: Absolutely. Thank you guys for all the questions. Again, we'll be back. Uh, we're actually going to be back tomorrow with a baseball special. I'm going to be joined by Jonathan Wagner and also Scott Lorbacher at 9 p.m. So it's going to be a late-night start as we, uh, as we talk about some Pirate baseball heading into the season. February 17th, we'll be here opening day before we know it. Appreciate you guys for listening and commenting. We'll be uh, looking forward to doing this a whole lot
2: more.